Moses came back and he was um, remarkably uh, frustrated, of course. And he goes to God in behalf of the people, Exodus 32, beginning in verse uh, 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, I, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, Lord, if not, please blot me out of your book. Notice that Moses is aware. Moses is aware of a book. Lord, Please forgive their sin, verse 32, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written, verse 33. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. So the Lord confirms the fact that even in those days, way back, there was such a book of the faithful, a record, a um, a registry, if you will, of the names of the faithful. You might want to jump over to the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 12. Daniel in chapter 12 sets up sort of a judgment day scene uh, himself. And it is uh, profitable for us to read from Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation uh, all till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found, notice this, verse 1, Daniel 12. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Those are the ones that shall be delivered. If you keep Reading verse 2, many of the, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to um, shame and everlasting contempt. Now, notice that Daniel is aware of a book, a book. Okay. Flip back, if you will, to Psalm 69 right quick. Notice one of David's prayers. Boy, they prayed so directly in the Psalms. So directly, I wouldn't have the nerve, I don't know, that I would have the nerve to pray like they prayed. David is praying here against his enemies. Notice what he says in Psalm 69 and verse 28. Psalm 69, 28, concerning his enemies, or at least those who are wicked in God's sight. Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. So clearly the Old Testament faithful had knowledge that God had a book, a book of life, a book uh, of enrollment, a registry of names of those who are uh, faithful. Now this question, this question, how is it that the faithful of the old times could have the hope of being in the Lamb's book of life? How is it they could have this hope that we have? How is it? 
Well, the answer, one of the answers is given in Hebrews 9, verse 15. Hebrews 9, verse 15, where the inspired writer is mentioning Jesus as a mediator of the new covenant, but also mentions there that uh, a death has occurred, has taken place, that provided redemption for all of those under the first covenant. Now, how did Jesus become the mediator? Well, because of his work at the cross, the shedding of his blood, right, and his resurrection from the dead. Okay. So the death of Jesus was also effective to cover the sins of the faithful under the first covenant. You see that in Hebrews 9 and verse 15. Also notice in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, a familiar verse to you, but one that we need to, um, to rehash just a second. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, in the fullness of time, Paul says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, notice it, born under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law, and also that he might... Um, that he might bring forth the adoption of sons. Now, we under the new covenant, we receive the adoption of sons because we understand under the new covenant the new birth process, which is basically believe and be baptized and have your sins washed away. That's your new birth process. But also notice here Paul is saying that Jesus coming to this earth was able to provide redemption for those under the law, under the law. Remember that those under the first covenant, under the law, they did do the animal sacrifices, various types and various regulations, but those animal sacrifices were not able to remove their sins in a sufficient way. And so those under the first covenant, those of old time, their faith looked forward. They had a forward-looking faith. They had no choice, okay, because, because everything that they were experiencing, all of the regulations that they were, they were uh, complying with, the experiences they were having, the communications from God, looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus' blood is powerful enough to go backward and cover the sins of those old times, you see. And so, yes, it is so very true that those faithful of old times have the same hope that we have of heaven. They have the same hope of, of knowing that their, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. On that day, on that great day, on that last day, when the books shall be opened, what a great day that will be. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being able to come together with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Can you imagine being able to sit down with Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and others? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine being able to sit down with Joseph and talk to him? What a great day that will be when all of the redeemed from old time, new time, from years past and many years past will all come together 
to join that assembly, to join that throne and begin our service and praise to God forever and ever and ever. Okay, so such a book does exist and we wanted to add that, that part there that, the, that um, those of Old Testament times were aware of that book. Now, second point. It is called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, why did we say this morning that it was called the Lamb's Book of Life? Why, why would you say that it is called the Lamb's Book of Life? Why is it called that? Why is it called the Lamb's Book of Life? Jesus is the Lamb that died. That's right. How else would you say it? Say it again. It contains the names of those that followed the Lamb. That's why it would be called the Lamb's uh, Book of Life. Remember we said this morning that, that um, it's called that also because it is a lamb's blood that makes it possible uh, for us to be able to be named among the faithful. Okay. The lamb's blood is very powerful. It's very uh, personal. Okay. We remember that from this morning. But I want us to take a step further along this line this evening. Okay. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life, primarily in the book of Revelation. Revelation 13, verse 8, Revelation 21, and, and uh, verse 27. Jesus is presented as the Lamb of God 27 times in the book of Revelation. 27 times. In 11 different chapters, he's referred to as the Lamb. And I want us to get an ideal of that. Of course, we can't go through every reference here, but I want us to get an ideal of that. Okay. So have your Bible open, if you don't mind, to the book of Revelation, and we'll take a, another glimpse uh, into it. Notice uh, first that Jesus is referred to as the lamb that was slain, that was killed for us, who was slain. Revelation 5 and verse 6. Revelation 5 and verse 6. You see that? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out unto all the earth. Notice verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed, okay, you have ransomed, ransomed you have purchased, you have, um, you have redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people uh, and nation. Notice verse uh, 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain, who was slain. This is why it is the lamb's book of life, because the lamb was slain for us. This of course, refers to Jesus' sacrificial offering. It refers to Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross. His offering of himself uh, for the sins of the world, for the people of the world. Again, remember, John said, John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Not only is Jesus presented as a lamb that was slain, but notice in Revelation 5, verse 6, he's, he's presented as a lamb that is standing. That is standing. Between the throne, Revelation 5, verse 6, and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. That's very significant because we know that Jesus was killed, but he was raised from the dead. This means that he stood up and he has remained standing up. He was raised from the, de from the dead. He's a lamb that was slain but was raised. Remember the words Jesus said to John, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. John was at first fearful, but uh, Jesus said to him, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death in Hades. So Jesus is the lamb that was slain. He's the lamb that was resurrected. Okay. Look in um, Revelation 7, verse 17, and notice that Jesus is the leader of his people. Is the leader of his people. So looking down to Revelation 7, in verse 17, for the, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear uh, from their eyes. So he is, he is our leader. And we follow him. And we follow him truly. Then he has our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay. Notice in Revelation 14. In verses uh, 3 and 4. Notice verse 1. I looked, John said, I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood, stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Skip down to verse 3. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb. Wherever He goes, they follow Him. These have been redeemed from mankind. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb that was slain. He's the Lamb who is... Um, who has been resurrected. He's the lamb who is our shepherd. He's our leader. Okay. And he is the lamb who has purchased us with his blood. He has redeemed us. And we do uh, follow him. We could go on and on. But this, these are reasons why this book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay. And so first point is a, such a book does exist. And second point is it is a lamb's book. You know, Moses, back in Exodus 32, he was on the right track because he, he knew that something had to be done to atone for the sins of the people. And he even kind of offered himself. Blot me out, Lord, but the Lord would have nothing to do with that. Moses was pointing to Jesus, but he could not be Jesus. Remember this morning we said that 
No person, no man, no woman, no good man, no faithful man, no prophet of, of, any, of any time can offer his blood for mankind. Only the Son, only the Lamb, only, only Jesus could do that. It's the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so our third point this evening is it is extremely valuable to have our names written in heaven. Why is that? Why is it so valuable to have our names, names written in heaven? Well, we went over several ideas this morning. Remember, it really spells the difference between heaven and hell because all those who do not have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 20 and verse 15, um, well, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. We don't want nothing to do with that. Revelation 21, 27 says heaven contains the people will contain the people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what we want. Remember what Jesus said, don't rejoice in this, that you can cast out demons and do these other things. Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice, Luke 10, verse 20. Rejoice that your names are written uh, in heaven. Now, let me present another reason that why having our names written in heaven is so valuable, and that is, if our names are written in heaven, we come under God's special care. We are under God's special care. Okay. Let's realize once again, you know this, but it's good to repeat it. God knows your name. If we follow God, He knows your name personally. It's no big deal for God. It's not a big deal. I mean, he know, according to Psalm 147 verse 4, He knows the names of all the stars. It's not a big deal, but it's good to hear that. It's good to think about that. According to Jesus in Matthew uh, 10, 28 through 31, uh, God knows the number of the hairs on our head. He knows the number of the hairs of our, on our head. He knows this. According to Jeremiah 1, verse 5, God knew Jeremiah before he was ever formed in his mother's belly. Now that's knowing. The Lord just knows. We don't know how He just knows. He just knows. He has no problem knowing our name. If we are walking with Him, if we're faithful to Him, He knows it. He knows everything. And He will continue to, and He will know us on that day when my name is called from the roll of life. The Lord will know. He will know. Now, what else does God record besides our name? We turn to Psalm 56 for a second. We need to know we're under God's special care, see. That's what makes this role of life, this, this book of life so precious, so valuable. We're under God's special care. What else does he record? Look at look with me. Psalm number 56. Verse 8. Lord, you have kept count of all my tossings. Have you ever been there? Have you ever tossed all night long because of something on your mind, something that has burdened you down? Lord, you keep count of all of my tossings. All of my tossings. My wonderings, some translations has wonderings, wonderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your what? 
Are you there? What? Where are you at? Okay. Book. 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 Okay. You keep my you keep my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your what? Book. It says it right there. Psalm 56 verse 8. In your book. So he not only records our names, but he records our tears. He knows everything going on in our lives. Things that we would never guess that he would know, he would know. We're under his special care. It's something good to know. It makes, it makes this existence of this book so, so very, uh, very valuable. Hebrews uh, chapter 6 and verse 10 says, God is not unrighteous to forget, to forget our, our, our love and the work that we have done uh, in his behalf. The love and the work and the labor that we have done in His behalf and, and the things we've done for His saints and so forth it says there in Hebrews 6 verse 10. So God records our names. What else does He record? Well, He, re- he records our challenges in life, our sufferings. He, know, he knows our tears. What else does He record? Things done in His name with love. Now, with love, God records those things. He remembers those things. It's important, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, love. Works done for God, not out of love, but for some other reason, okay, are not recorded by God. Okay, but those that are done out of love, love. Remember Paul in the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Though I do this or though I do that, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing, he says. So very true. But those that done out of genuine love for God and genuine love for others, God doesn't forget. All right, so that makes it very valuable. Such a book does exist. It is called the Lamb's Book of Life, and it is extremely valuable. And then our fourth point is there are some requirements. What did we say this morning? What did we say this morning are some requirements? Of course, we said obedience, obeying the gospel. Of course, uh, that is naturally uh, in reading the Bible. That's naturally one. We also uh, mentioned unity because of Paul's emphasis there in Philippians uh, chapter 4, unity. We mentioned the idea of overcoming and being victorious. All right. So let's mention a couple others uh, as well. The fact that Jesus was sending his disciples there in Luke 10 makes this sending and going a requirement for having our names written in the book of life. You notice that? That's what's happening there in Luke 10. You know that. Jesus at this time is sending out Seventy disciples or so, okay, and they're going. They're having, they're having good success, and they're coming back and reporting it to Jesus. Okay, if you jump back, Luke nine verse one, you see Jesus sends out his apostles on a similar mission. Okay, one of the reasons Jesus come was to send, to send. One of the reasons that Jesus has has recorded his words for us is for us to go. There's the sending and the going. Okay. There's the listening and the going that's part of these requirements that are to be met uh, from God. Okay. 
Jesus says in John 20 and verse 21, in verse 21, John 20, 21, he said to his apostles, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. That's what the Great Commission is all about. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And by implication, naturally, we can see the force of it as, as God has sent Jesus to the world, so Jesus now is sending us. We're, we're reminded of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6 and verse 8. Here am I, Lord, send me. Send me. The thing about this book, this book of life, is it's not to be kept secret. It's not a secret book. Okay? There's nothing secret about God. There's nothing secret about uh, his church. There's nothing secret about his work. He wants everyone. God's desire is for everyone's name to be written in that book. And we must bear that in mind. We must have that at the forefront of our minds all the time. Keep that big picture in mind. And um, things will go so much better at that time. He is not telling us to make sure others go. Okay. That's not what the Lord has called no one to make sure other people go. All right? He's telling us personally to go. That's what we do. That's what a leader does. That's what a leader does. A leader's job is not to make sure others go. A leader is already going, and then he invites others to say, hey, come along and go with me. Okay? That's what a leader does. Okay. And it would be so good if that could be more and more of a habit and practice among us here. We need folks to get up besides me and say, hey, we're having door knocking day. And uh, it would be great for, uh, I'm going to be there. What if somebody else besides me would get up and say, hey, I'm going to be there. Why don't you be there as well? Okay, That kind of thing. We go, we go, and we say, why don't you go with me? But you know what? Even if someone else doesn't go, we still go. We still go. We've had door knocking day now for several years in a row. A handful of us will show up. Okay. You think we just go back home? Of course not. We go. Get all, all that we can get done, we get done. We just go. That's, that's, what, that's what God is saying. God's saying, I'm here to send you, and when you hear the sending message, then you are to go. That's part of God's requirements of having your names written in the Lamb's uh, book of life. Revelation 3 and verse 5 mentions um, those who have their names written there have their garments white. They have white garments. That symbolizes purity and victory. It really does. It, symbolizes purity and victory. We're not surprised by that. Nothing unclean, according to Revelation 21, verse 27, nothing unclean will enter into uh, the heavenly realm. Nothing unclean. That doesn't mean that God is preparing a hotel for us that's completely clean, cleaner, cleanest hotel you've ever seen. That's not what that means. That means nobody is going to go there who has the filthiness of sin attached to their lives. Okay? Nothing unclean will enter into it. Nothing that makes an abomination. Abomination means anything that is contrary to the will of God is an abomination. 
Nothing that makes an abomination, nothing that makes a lie, that lives out a lie, that follows lies, will be there. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay. So having on white garments means purity, but it also means victory. Victory. One of my all-time favorite victory passages in Revelation, Revelation 12, 11. The early disciples overcame. They conquered. Okay. And Revelation 12, 11, check me on that. Is it 10, 11, or 12? 12, 12, 12, 10 through 12. But they overcame, and it spells it out specifically so you cannot miss it. You know? They overcame three ways. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and then that third reason. Now, they trusted that their sins were forgiven because of God's plan through the blood of the Lamb. Okay. The second thing they did, they shared the message. They shared the message. The word of their testimony, they shared the message. And then the third thing they did, all three things were necessary to have victory. The third thing there, and this is where, you know, this is, this is where you have to sit down. This is, this is where we fall short. They, it says they love not their life unto death. Unto death. You see, that's victory. It's the only way you can wear a white garment is you love not your life unto death. The will of God just shreds your life. The will of God may mess up your 401k. You, you, the will of God may, if you follow it, it may, it may separate your family. The will of God. The will of God is first and foremost. They love not their life even unto death. They're going to carry out the will of God even if it meant their death or persecution or suffering. Whatever it meant, they were going to do that. And that's what it takes to have uh, victory. Okay. So requirements. There's coming a day, Revelation 20 and verse 12, there's coming a day, you can see it for yourself there in that verse. On that day, the books will be open, and then another book will be open, and that is called the book of life. Isn't that interesting? What books are going to be open on that last day? The book of life, but other books are going to be open. What do you think he's talking about there? What other books? What other books? Well, we do know this. The Bible will be open. Because what did Jesus say in John 12, 48? The words that I have spoken unto you, the same will judge you in the last day. John 12, 48. So that book will be open. Okay. But it says books. It's plural. It says, on that day, the books will be open. And then also, in addition to that, the book of life will be open. And we know what the book of life is. That, that will be open to show just who it is that's going, going into heaven. The names written, recorded therein. What about that other book? There's, it's plural. It's more than one book. Okay. It must be the book of our deeds. You know, the, the book of the things that we've done while we're here. You know, didn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we'll, 
will all be manifest before the judgment seat of Christ and to receive the things done in the body, whether it be good or bad. That's what he says, to receive the things done in the body. So it could be that there are three books at least mentioned there, Revelation 20, verse 12. Okay. There's the Word of God, the book. There's the book of deeds, of the things we've done. How, how do we look? How, how does it compare? How, how does it come out? What's the outcome of, of our lives versus what this Bible, what this book says to do? And then there's that other book. That other book. The book of life. When my name is called from the role of life. Well, I hope to be there. I hope to hear my name called from that role of life. What about you? What about you? Someone has said that, that the book of life is God's book in God's hand. And that the Bible is God's book in our hands. What are we doing with it? What are we doing? What we do with God's book in our hands determines if our name is written in that book, God's book, in God's hands. Will you come this evening, right now, as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Paul?